0: You're listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 76.
1: I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush.
0: Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the 11th Doctor's first story, the the Matt Smith era begins with the 11th hour. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Good. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy. So before we get started, I just want to take a moment to kind of tell you about uh, some uh, other that uh, just ask you to check out our other podcasts on SQPN, the StarQuest Podcast Network. Um, We have a number of uh, other podcasts you might be interested in. So if you go to SQPN.com, you can see them there, our most recent episodes, and we ask that you share them with others and uh, leave reviews and help us spread the news. Um, We can't do this without you. And one of the ways that we really rely on you is through your donations. Uh, We are a nonprofit. We don't have advertisers or sponsors, although that's not out of the question in the future. But at the moment, we really rely on people like you uh, to help us in our mission to spread the word and get these good podcasts out there.
2: And we're trying to expand the network right now. We just added a brand new podcast with StarQuest Headlines, a daily podcast for you. We have a bunch more podcasts we want to add, but we're going to need your help to do that. So please do consider donating to StarQuest.
0: Exactly. And you can do that at sqpn.com slash donate. Um, so before we get into the, today's show, Jimmy, did you have something you wanted to share? Yeah, uh, this is
2: not related really to the episode we're about to talk about, but it is a, an interesting little bit of Doctor Who news that I thought people would appreciate. Um, one of the things that uh, longtime Doctor Who fans will be aware of is back in the 60s, uh, there were a couple of Doctor Who theatrical movies that were made starring mm-hmm. Peter Cushing, Mm-hmm. as the doctor. And uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, one, the second of them, in fact, has um, – oh, I'm blanking on his name. It's the actor who plays Wilfred Mott. Bernard uh, Cribbins. 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 yeah. And uh, he he's he's one of the leads in that, and it's a lot of fun to see him as a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, the both of them are are adaptations of Dalek stories that were very popular, and they're really neat. And there's been a longstanding question of, well – how does this doctor fit in with all of the others? Um, the uh, it, it's sometimes claimed that he's just a human inventor in this, but they never really say that. They don't say, "Oh, and by the way, I'm a human." You know, so they. I think uh, the door is from the what you get in the movies has always been left open to is Peter Cushing like an alternate reality, alternate timeline version of. Our doctor and in my mm-hmm. head canon that's the way I think of him. He, this is a parallel <laughs> reality doctor. but uh, just recently he got worked into the actual canon of this of this of the series and uh, the great completer Stephen Moffat <laughs> was the one who did that. Um, it, they have a couple of new Doctor Who novels that have come mm-hmm. out of new Who stories. One of them is by Russell T. Davies, um, the showrunner who brought the series back. And then the other is a novelization of the 50th anniversary special, The Day of the Doctor, written by Stephen Moffat. So Stephen Moffat did the novelization, and he did a bunch of little continuity retcons and things in it as kind of head candy <laughs> for fans. And one of them is he made the the Peter Cushing movies part of Doctor Who canon with Peter Cushing as Peter Cushing. So according to some lines in the new novel, um, the uh, there were these two movies made about the Doctor and, On Earth, in the Doctor Who universe, starring Mm. Peter Cushing and the doctors himself saw them and loved them and even loaned Peter Cushing one of his uh, uh, one of his waistcoats for the second of the two movies. (laughs) So um, so if you want to check that out, it's in the novel The Day of the Doctor by Stephen Moffat. And it does not alter my headcanon that uh, that uh, the Peter Cushing movies are an alternate timeline version as well, and, because they can both be movies within the Doctor Who universe and an alternate timeline. And, so my headcanon remains intact.
1: If you do wish to watch these movies, you can go to Amazon Prime and they have the Riff Tracks version of it. Yeah. <laughs> the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of it. So uh, very much worth watching. It's it's really funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're classic movies that really don't get recognized because everybody's kind of going, does this actually fit?
0: <laughs> right. As fans, we can become very narrow minded about like, well, it doesn't fit the canon. So therefore, I'm not going to, to consume it and, and enter it into my into, into my viewing of Doctor Who. Uh, if, if you've had that, you know, it's actually funny that Star Trek has done something recently. Um, There's a book called The Autobiography of James T. Kirk, which is a f- written is a first person memoir of Kirk, mm-hmm. uh, played, of course, by William Shatner. And it kind of goes through the events of Kirk's life. But and the way they deal with what everyone knows is the worst Star Trek movie of all time, which was Star Trek five, Spock's
1: the search for God,
0: the search for God, yeah. it's Spock's brother, Cybok. Um, they 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 kind of wipe that away by it being um, a parallel Earth where uh, that got contaminated by the visit of the Enterprise in one of the uh, uh, original series uh, uh, episodes. And <laughs> someone made a movie... About the Star Trek, about the the Enterprise crew, and came up with this horrible, terrible uh, uh, storyline uh, for it. And so, uh, Kirk and company is, get to watch this terrible movie adaptation of their of of their life. Uh, the, so it's just a, a similar circumstance. So, I'll, I'll,
2: if only the autobiography of James Kirk was canon.
1: Yes. Well. <laughs> Tell, well, tell me at least it wasn't written by William Shatner. If you've read his Treadcore no. series, well, <laughs> <horrible. laughs> those were all ghosted.
0: Yeah. yeah still, uh, Yeah, no, no. It's, uh, the, the, I forget the name of the guy, but he's a TV writer, actually, who wrote it. It, it was pretty good. It was, you know, not the best literary mm-hmm. experience. It wasn't bad, though. It was a quick read, and it kind of was a fun way that they threaded through um, mm. A lot of the elements of Kirk's life, and in fact, he it, it ends up he's very regretful uh, for his life mm-hmm. uh, in, in ways that seem appropriate. Anyway, this isn't secrets of Star Trek.
2: This mm. is that can be, we can do another show on that. Yes, that to, to get stay back stay to Doctor <laughs> Who. Yeah, yeah, to get back to Doctor Who, there's a two volume history of Doctor Who written in <clears throat> it's a real history, but it's written comedically. It's called Space Helmet for a Cow. Oh, right. And and it's a lot of fun to read. And one of the recurring motifs in the first volume is the fan's obsession with, is it canon or not? <laughs> and the author repeatedly introduces the fan's voice saying, but is this canon? And then when William Hartnell breaks the fourth wall in the famous Christmas episode and addresses the audience – the author says, yes, but then the fans say, yes, but
0: are we canon? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is no, and everybody's head explodes, uh, just like the Cybermen. Um, so but now we're talking about the 11th Doctor, and uh, this is the last of our series where we're examining um, – first episodes so the first so far so until far.
1: September September October whenever the new series comes out
0: <laughs> exactly we'll do that as part of our regular weekly view um <laughs> but We've ta- we've gone from we've talked about the uh, the first doctor, unearthly child, and all the way through uh, have been covered. We've already talked about the twelfth doctor's first episode in the which was the very first secrets of Doctor Who number one. Uh, so we've already talked about that, and so now we're, we're we've made our way through to the eleventh doctor, Matt Smith. This episode aired in April 2010, which is really a long time ago. I mean, we're we're mm-hmm. right now we're talking. Uh, that's uh, that's exactly eight years ago, um, and it's kind of funny to think about how long it's been. We've had these two doctors, the eleventh and twelfth doctors, uh, over such a long period of time, but so relatively few episodes, st- you know, stories yeah. uh, that they've been in. Um, and we are introduced to his companion. Amy, who I would say is almost the definitive 11th Doctor companion. I mean, he's, oh, got, yeah. he's got Clara mm-hmm. later, but really Amy kind of defines him in many ways. I, um, I think,
1: well, I think Amy in general is one of the more popular of the
2: new Who companions. She's
1: definitely I'd, up there.
0: Top. I'd say, yeah. Yeah,
2: and she's got one of the most intricate backstories. Um, and I, I, as much as, as as appealing, I think so, I think Billy Piper In a way, has more appeal than uh, uh, Karen Karen Gillian, Gillian, whatever. Karen Gillian um, has, from a certain point of view. But I think the character of Amy is way more interesting than Rose, Mm -hmm. and the supporting cast that um, that Amy brings with her is way more likable and interesting than the supporting cast that Rose brings with her.
0: Most mm. definitely. Yeah. Especially in the form of Rory, who becomes quite a, <laughs> quite a key element. He's not just an appendage, but we'll, we'll, he's like, he is in this episode in some ways, but we'll get he to is that. He's very much an appendage.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, he, he later becomes the most sympathetic character of the three.
0: Oh um, yeah. He, I, he, absolutely he yeah. becomes, uh, The romantic hero, in fact, uh, of pretty much of all time, uh, as as we will later see when we get around to that in quite a long time, I think.
2: (laughs) One thing before we get into the plot I wanted to talk about was Matt Smith as Mm -hmm. the actor Mm -hmm. playing the doctor, because he he is was at the time and still is the youngest person to ever play the doctor. And um, and that was something of a risk because he I mean, he was in his 20s when he was cast and, and I, uh, once he was cast, I went on YouTube and looked for clips of him in pre doctor who roles. And he like had this wild hair and looked very young and was laughing maniacally. And I just got this vibe that, you know, I'm, I have profound doubts about whether this is the right guy. He seemed too juvenile uh, Mm -hmm. in what I was seeing. And, um, And then after watching him for five minutes as the doctor, it's like, no, this man is the doctor. There is no problem here. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He, despite his zaniness, uh, which in some ways is reminiscent of Tom Baker, Mm -hmm. um, despite his zaniness, he also can, and his youth, he can portray a feeling of a character who's very old. And, And that juxtaposition of the youthful exterior with the feeling that this character is really very old is conceptually very interesting and and that's one thing i wanted to mention about him the other thing is there's a long-standing rule in doctor who that each doctor is kind of a reaction to the previous one they they tend to go to the other extreme so like after you have the grandfatherly first doctor you have the comic hobo second doctor and then you've Mm -hmm. got it bounces to the other extreme with the older and very refined third doctor, and then the crazy fourth doctor, and then the understated fifth doctor, and so on. And we see that after Matt Smith, too, where after the youngest doctor ever, we get Peter Capaldi, the oldest doctor ever, at least in terms of his biological age. And But between the David Tennant doctor and the Matt Smith doctor, you don't get that kind of reversal they're both doctors in the good boyfriend mold. And yes, they do have some uh, differences. Uh, Matt Smith is more zany, but, I mean, David Tennant is zany too, but Matt Smith's just more zany. Mm -hmm. David Tennant could be a little angrier. Matt Smith could be a little more arrogant. But you don't have the kind of swing between these Mm -hmm. two doctors that you normally get.
0: I sometimes feel like... Because the other the other first of this episode is is that it is the first episode that isn't Russell T Davies as the showrunner, uh, mm-hmm. in the new Who it's now Stephen Moffat's show, mm-hmm. and I feel I, want, I feel like sometimes that this is Moffat's version of the Tenth Doctor, like he's yeah I, think, I feel like he's going back to the beginning, not all the way to Eccleston, but to mm-hmm. the beginning and and what he would have done from there, you know. So Amy is is that is. Is Rose and Rose. and Mickey and Rory and the eleventh Doctor and the tenth Doctor and there's a there's a parallelism in there and I mm-hmm. and I feel like some, that sometimes that's kind of what he was going back to and that's why there isn't that difference between them. There may mm-hmm. have all may have also been a, a sort of a network desire. The BBC maybe they liked the 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 formula the the tenant formula. Well, they, they, that yeah. he was popular. Well, you can't, definitely can't bad
1: argue. Bad. I mean, some of the best ratings that New Who has had is, came from David Tennant's era.
0: Right. And so stick with what worked is, is, is could, could sometimes be the, the, uh, the mandate from the network. You know, you
1: know, it's interesting, too, going back to Jimmy mentioning about the age thing, um, they kind of played on that and they really developed that throughout Matt Smith's era this idea of that he looks young and sometimes acts young, but he's very, you know, very he feel uh, mature. Old. You know, yeah, yeah. And, they, and to the point, even like his his outfit, his costume by uh, the end of his run, you know, he had kind of the formal Victorian style waistcoat mm-hmm. and glasses or kind of classic style glasses. And he had the pocket watch with the chain. He, he'd have old fit. fashioned
2: things like the suspenders and the bow tie and the fez. So yeah, it's very retro, they,
1: you know, they kind of played on that where he looked young, but dressed older and acted sometimes much older than he looked
0: yeah mm-hmm. yep
1: good insight yep
0: so the this story it we sort of we it takes place in basically three time periods in 1996 in 2008 and then in 2010 uh, so uh, we, we kind of we're jumping between time and this is immediately post regeneration in fact the the episode opens it's very energetic. Like it's it's almost a, a preview of this is what Doctor Who is going to be like for the next few years is yeah. this crazy the Tardis is blowing up and flames everywhere and the Doctor's hanging outside the Tardis door and and Mr. Over doctor's months- wild ride Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> if, the, if if Doctor Who was a Disney uh, property we'd we'd see that at Disney World um, and so this very energetic open and then we it crashes. Into this uh, yard, uh, the, the the back garden of a house in uh, what was the name of the? T- is a small town, um, Ledworth. Ledworth. Ledworth, right? It's a somewhat remote town. Uh, gather,
2: um, yeah. It- and one one of the things they do, one of the things that is characterizes uh, Stephen Moffat's time as showrunner is he he veers from mushy soft science fiction, which is what Doctor Who has always been into science fairy tale and there's this very much fairy tale feel to his era in some ways. I think he does that to a fault where it hurts in the series. Right. But, um, here they're already establishing that with the little girl, uh, Amy as a little, as a little girl and she's praying to Santa, Mm. which is kind of a comment on modern Britain. You know about the yeah. degree of religious knowledge this child has, right? And yeah. um, and she's thinking it's Easter, so she's waking him up, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and um, but uh, you have this fairy tale thing, and in fact, once the doctor meets Amy Pond and she introduces herself as Amelia Pond, he says, "Oh, that's a great name, like something out of a fairy tale," and it's conscious, deliberate. Foreshadowing on Stephen Moffat's part that we're going in a fairy tale direction now. Uh,
0: the the uh, the young girl that plays uh, Amelia, who has a great Scottish accent, uh, as uh, Karen Gillan does as well. Um, uh, it's my understanding that she's related to Karen Gillan. Is I think she's like her cousin. Hmm. That was my uh, my my understanding, and I'm trying to find it. Tardis Wikia doesn't have it, but let me see. Uh, if I can find it again.
2: Um. By the way, notice the continuing Scottish invasion of Doctor Who, the <laughs> archetypal British television show, uh, with now Scottish showrunner Stephen Moffat. We have a Scottish companion. Later, we're going to get a Scottish doctor. And, well, we've uh, had
0: a Scottish doctor, but who didn't get to use his accent? <laughs>
2: well, true. We've, yeah. we've had that, but then we're going to get one who gets to use his accent.
0: Yep. Uh, in fact, I did find it. Caitlin Blackwood, who plays uh the, Amelia the young Amelia uh is the cousin of Karen Gillan who plays the adult Amy Pond. Uh although it says they never met before Doctor Who, which is very oh, wow. very uh, interesting. Um but uh apparently she did have to go through auditions to get the role, so it's not not just plain old nepotism in that case. But uh <laughs> but uh, she was she was brilliant in this. I think she as a child actor she does really well playing opposite um uh, matt smith in this and yeah, we have this um tardis yeah, and
2: his, and very fairy tale theme of the little girl has the knight come crashing in and then mm-hmm. abandoned but then he comes back
0: and he's the raggedy man or the raggedy doctor yeah. that, that gets yeah. told you
2: know,
1: about the one thing i think they avoided a little bit with the 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 young amy pond was the kid that's too smart for her
2: own good yeah. Too smart for her age. I guess is yeah. a better way to she's it. a little precocious,
0: you know, but not not overly so. Well, you, you she's, those, not, she's not
2: Will Robinson.
0: She's not <laughs> Will Robinson.
1: She's not the Home Alone kid. She's you know she. Will she Eaton. Yeah, Will she, Eaton. Yeah. She acts <laughs> like an actual kid of her age, more or less. Maybe a little more mature, and that could be explained by the fact that she's living on her own and has to basically deal with these situations on her own. Right, entirely
2: with no parents.
1: Yeah, and an aunt that lives visible. in town somewhere. Well, yeah. there's
0: well, there's an aunt who lives there, but sometimes isn't there. But we later get an explanation for this, don't we? That there's something I, weird, strange oh, yeah, about Amy. It's,
2: it, it, it's all connected with the cracks in time. So right. her family has effectively been deleted from history, and she's a surviving time anomaly. But mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think the aunt is living with her in that house. I think no, that's the, part of the anomaly. They, they,
1: these. I think she explains it like her aunt lives down the hill or something like that. Okay, yeah. yeah. But
0: even
2: that's bizarre. Why would you yeah. let an eight-year-old girl live by herself in a big house? Right.
0: Yeah. It, it, it it's sort of presented like later. Again, later on, we'll find out. It's presented as you know, Amy. Don't you think that's kind of odd that you lived alone in this big house without anyone there? And like, because she's a time anomaly, she doesn't see the 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 mm-hmm. strangeness of it. Um. We we get this uh, the 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 manic post regeneration doctor here, which played to a T by by still Matt Smith. Still cooking, still cooking, right? Yep. Um, the t- oh, and the the we also got
2: the TARDIS regenerating because when he yep. regenerated, he blew up inside of it. So the TARDIS is healing. I the the, the food montage, right? I was just about to bring the that beginning, up that is so awesome where he's you know <laughs> obsessing about different kinds of food thinking he's going to like it and as soon as he tastes it it's it's progressively more horrible but is it until yeah. until we end up with Fish Fingers and
0: Custard. <laughs> the famous Fish Fingers and Custard. Longtime time SQPN uh, uh, listeners will remember uh, um, years ago when Father Roderick Von Hogan, one of our co-founders, uh, did, we, did, we did a, a, a fundraiser uh, oh, right. marathon, and one of the ways he did it was to get people to pledge if... He got, if he, ra- he raised a certain amount of money, he would eat fish, fingers, and custard. Uh, I yeah. think he still regrets that to this day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the one oh, who, who, who who got him to do that. Because That's awesome. He That's was funny. taking bids. If you pledge X amount of money, he'll eat something, and you get yeah. to request it. Oh, and so wow. I pledged and bid, uh, bid for fish, fingers, and custard, and he ate it. And the thing is, he didn't know at the time. Where fish fingers and custard came <laughs> from, because that's before so we started this podcast. Was, he didn't know I was requesting a doctor that was, for him to enact a Doctor Who, because
1: that was that was before we started this podcast. He also had some really nasty shake or something like the the, the, the,
0: the smoothie yeah, challenge smoothie yeah. that he had to drink <laughs> that
1: was
0: like absolutely disgusting. But you know, Jimmy, when you talk about like that food, the food montage and the snappy dialogue and the very quick you know repartee, You're that's to really something. Yeah, well, that that's that's the Moffat signature, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's what really distinguishes a, a Stephen Moffat, and not just Stephen Moffat, but the, you know some of the others who will do scripts with him, um, his script writing partner from Sherlock. Um, uh, is the uh, name Mark me. Gattis? Mark Gattis. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the, the, it's a sort of it's a hallmark of their their kind of writing is that that quick twit uh, 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 back and forth uh, dialogue like that. Very clever and funny. Really good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I have in mind a really good badinage. I have in my notes, you know, about how many great lines there are in this. One of my favorites is when the doctor is after while he's eating fish fingers and custard. He's talking to Amy and he's asking about her parents. and She says she, says she doesn't have any, uh, just an aunt. And the doctor says, I don't even have an aunt. And mm-hmm. she says, you're lucky. And he says, <laughs> <Yeah>. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and again, played very well by, by Matt Smith. He's, he's a, a very good comedic actor, I have to say. Um, yeah, so – so so this is sort of the setup um and then we get to the premise that's going to motivate the season which is the crack in the wall which mm-hmm. yeah. which is the crack in the universe well that we, we before, keep coming up before then and it it motivates
2: their entire relationship we have the, the well we do get the crack in the wall first she, yep. he he shows her the crack in the time uh, the crack in the wall which then becomes the recurring season arc element yep. mm-hmm um and he he's he's going to go off in the TARDIS like 5 minutes into the future to help the TARDIS engines fully repair themselves or whatever so he can close this crack in the wall right and um and and, and he gets out to the TARDIS and he says give me 5 minutes now this is a callback to the girl in the fireplace right. where mm-hmm. he says give me 2 minutes to yep. Madame de Pompadour and then shows up years and years later. Right. Yep. And this is the second story we've had where the doctor encounters a little girl and then comes back into her life years later. And so I, it, I have to think the give me five minutes yep. line is a deliberate echo of give me two minutes.
0: Well, especially given that both episodes are written by Stephen Moffat. By Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Yep. There you go. So, um, but so yeah, he says, give me five minutes. she, you know the little girl packs her suitcase and goes sits and waits and it's heartbreaking to see her sitting there mm-hmm. like waiting for him to come back and it's 2008 when he comes ba- comes back doesn't recognize yeah. amy uh, it's right. also partly because we get a jump grown back up. well <laughs> right but but part of the reason why he 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 jumps away is because when they discover the crack he opens it up and the giant eyeball uh is, uh <laughs> You know, so mm-hmm. He was looking for Prisoner Zero, and the doctor realizes that Prisoner Zero came yeah, through, is and is present Correct. in the house, and that's and so he's going to jump forward and then come back, and then um and it's been twelve years. It's two thousand eight that this creature has been living in the house with Amy alone, um yeah. and and so he encounters Amy. She's she's dressed in a police officer's. Uh, outfit which is very obviously Not a real police officer's outfit the, yeah. We don't see police dress like that very often Although maybe in Britain, yeah. maybe it's a British thing But uh, uh, she's a Kissagram which is a funny throwaway um, by, by the way
2: before we Before we move into the Fully into the adult phase I wanted to note one thing about uh, The doctor's interaction With the young Amelia He offers to have her become A companion Yes, mm-hmm. And she's like an 8 year old kid and or whatever she is, eight or 12 or whatever. Yep. And um, and this would be the youngest companion ever on television. Right. It would not be the youngest companion ever in spinoff media, because in the original, the first form of spinoff media was Doctor Who comics. And in the comics, the William Hartnell doctor was traveling with his two grandchildren who were this age? They oh, um, weren't. It was. It was not Susan who was a teenager. It was two other grandchildren that only appeared in the comics. Um, but for TV, this would have been a first of having a companion that young, and I thought that was a notable moment.
0: Right. There's and, and in fact he the one of the things that makes this moment heartbreaking is, is he promises her he's not like other people and he you know that he'll be back in five minutes and he breaks that promise I mean the doctor the very first there's a reason why Amy doesn't trust him uh, for the rest of this episode and that's because he the f- the first time she encounters him he breaks his promise uh, like other adults um, so later on. Um, you know they, they there's this whole plot of prisoner zero and these the aliens who are supposed to be um guarding him uh they want to uh, to to get him back and so they threaten to destroy the earth in order if if if, if prisoner zero doesn't turn himself in and that's that's the premise um, yeah
2: only only they they complexify it so that the Atraxi, that's the eyeball creatures in this episode, are yep. saying that the human dwelling will be exterminated unless Prisoner Zero leaves the human dwelling. And he thinks the doctor assumes at first they're talking about the house. Yes. And then he realizes they're talking about the planet. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's kind of a neat reversal. Right. Also, I thought the Atraxi with the giant eyeball thing, that's effective visually as a character, as a monster design. Also, Prisoner Zero um shapeshifter yeah a shapeshifter mm. and when we see prisoner zero's native form it it is very creepy because mm-hmm. it, and the the doctor realizes that there's a room in the house where prisoner zero has been living that's shielded by a perception filter so you don't notice it and that's a right. great idea in and of itself mm-hmm. and then when Amy goes into the room we see prisoner zero kind of snaking down from the ceiling behind her and the it's it's basically a body form that's a lot like a serpent but mm-hmm. big with this head on it that has teeth like something you would right. see from a deep sea you know creature right and these really long dagger like teeth and it's it's very creepy and effective and then as a shapeshifter when prisoner zero starts hopping bodies Mm-hmm. And you've got like he's he's inhabiting a man and a dog together yeah. form, mm-hmm. but In he fact, gets the voices all, mixed up.
0: Yeah, all of the forms he takes are multi-form. They're 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 like yeah. uh, a woman and two right. daughters. Um, the, do- the man with the dog and right. He, he keeps mixing up which, which one the voice is supposed to be coming from. Um,
2: and, and so you have a man barking with a dog's voice that they've dubbed in. Yes. Or, and it's, <laughs> and it's, it is effectively creepy. Prisoner zero yeah. is a really creepy
0: character. By the way, the, the mom in this, uh, with the two daughters yeah. uh, oh, yes. is Olivia Coleman, which, uh, she's guest starred on a bunch of different, uh, Uh, episodes of Doctor Who, but she's also uh, appeared alongside uh, David Tennant in Broadchurch, Broadchurch. a fantastic uh, uh, police drama. um, Showrun by the
1: new showrunner of Doctor Who. Exactly. And
2: also appearing on Broadchurch, Jodie Whittaker, who will be the new Doctor, even though it would have been better So far as I can tell from current data, it would have been better to be Olivia Coleman.
0: Yes. (laughs) I like Olivia Coleman too. And Uh, Rory, Arthur Darville, who's also Broadchurch as the vicar. Yep,
1: Lots of Doctor Who spin-off or tied to uh, Broadchurch. Yes,
2: very much so. It's like like all those people over there live on a small island or something.
0: (laughs) I know, right? I'm still on record as saying that I would have preferred David Tennant's character as the new doctor uh from the from Broadchurch as the new doctor that that personality uh, and have to bring <laughs> David Tennant back. I still would have liked it and have Olivia Colman play his companion. But no one asked me. Um so uh, we have this so, so we have this creature um was anybody else like kind of go, like I I remember the first time I saw this being like Amy listen to the doctor. <laughs> like he's yelling yeah. at her don't go in the room. Okay? Whatever you do Don't look at it. Like everything he tells her to do, she does wrong. Typical (laughs) companion.
2: Well, exactly. I like how when he first pops out of the TARDIS at the beginning of the episode and he's talking to young Amelia, he says, do everything I tell you. Don't ask stupid questions and don't wander off. And those are the three things that every companion does. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All the time. (laughs) When, when When I'm watching, and it's especially true with Old Who, where they had to pad stuff out. So they separate the characters and, and get, you know, one of them captured and rescued and captured again and rescued again and stuff. But um, but companion separation is such a recurring theme in Doctor Who that um, I, I mentally track it when I'm consuming Doctor Who media and it's like. Houston, we have achieved companion separation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, again, since we just watched Girl of the Fireplace, it's top of my mind, you know, we talked we just talked about it a few weeks ago. You know, again, that's a moment when uh, when uh, Rose and Mickey were 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 there. He, the doctor goes through the fireplace. And he says, "No, don't touch anything and don't go anywhere. And so what do they immediately pick up these fire extinguishers and go off to hunt down the clockwork yeah. robots. Like, and, and she kind of, and Rose kind of says, well, yeah, of course, that's what we're supposed to do, as in this is what companions do. Uh, so, yes. And so Amy and Rory, like all the other companions, will spend their entire time with the doctor doing this. Um, and
2: the doctor reflects on this after Amy's disobeyed him. He says, do I have a face that nobody listens to
0: again? <laughs> again. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, we, we get the doctor's new catchphrase is instead of L on Z, which was the 10th doctor's we get Geronimo, uh, -hmm. we, we get that show up here, um. Uh, There was another great line because, of course, when we're talking about Moffat episodes, it's always the great lines. another great line. I'm the doctor. I'm worse than everybody's aunt. And that's not how I'm introducing myself. (laughs) 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 I
2: I love a line early where he's talking to the young Amelia Pond and and realizes they're in danger. And he says, you know, when adults say that everything is going to be fine, but you think they're lying. And she says, yes.
0: Everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so um we 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 he has this encounter with uh the 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 um, prisoner zero in the form of the mother and two daughters. Um, and and the, the, the creature, the the prisoner zero, knows something the doctor doesn't. Two you know, things. Uh, right. And one of the things it says is the universe is cracked, the Pandorica will open, silence will fall. And these yeah. are These are themes that will play out not just in this season, but over a couple of seasons. I mean, this is over over this incarnation. Right, right. This whole this the right. In fact, silence will fall. I think just it goes through all the whole Amy Rory period, at least it goes into the it
2: goes all the way up to um, uh, it goes all the way up to uh, the, the his regeneration story. Because that's it, oh that, right it, the Church of the Silence is there at the end yeah, uh, orbiting the planet Trenzalor. Yeah. yeah
0: right 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 so that these are themes that will that will that will be played out and it's interesting that the Doctor doesn't know this yet
2: yeah um, yeah that's it, nice
0: yeah that's, it's,
2: ha- having him not be omniscient and not know things is good it creates mm-hmm. character limitations that create dramatic possibilities. And so it's always nice when we know something and that the doctor is only just learning or even doesn't know. And they end up paying it off. I mean, they pay off the cracks in time this season. The Pandorica does open. We find out what that means. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the ending for Silence Will Fall is way too rushed and unsuccessful in the end. But the first part of the prophecy is, is very effective.
0: Uh, yeah, right. I have to say everything having to do with the silence and the silence will fall. I've had to watch it a couple of times to kind of, because again, like you said, the resolution is so fast that I, I'm like, okay, what happened? And you, you're Ooh. right on, on that. Um, what is um, What's the other piece of information that the doctor learns here?
2: Oh well, no. It was the two things that I meant meant were uh, the Pandora will open oh, and okay. silence will fall. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah.
0: And I wonder, like a little bit, is that because this crack, you know, this this circumstance happens in the midst of the regeneration. You, you know, I've, I'm trying to remember if that was the case in the in these seasons. The cracks,
2: the cracks, are ultimately caused by the TARDIS exploding in mm. the season finale. Uh, right. When the, it's connected with the Pandorica opening and the silence are somehow or a breakoff group of the silence, we later learn, are somehow responsible for the TARDIS exploding. Right. So yeah. it's it ends up being one interconnected prophecy working its way backwards in time to this episode. Right. Okay. And,
1: and, and by the way, the crack does appear in the in the final episode. of uh, that's his yeah. final episode, or at least the special effect that created the crack shows yeah. up because that's what the Time Lords used to give him his whole new set of regenerations. Right.
0: Right.
2: Okay. Gallifrey's okay. on the other side of the crack.
0: Yep. Yep. So, um,. I a couple of things in the hospital. Uh, I noticed mm-hmm. that the doctor steals his new clothes from a doctor's locker, just like, just the, like third the third doctor, doctor. <laughs> right. yeah. Again, and the we, eighth doctor in the, in the eighth, right? Exactly. He just has a thing about taking other people's clothes. Um, and then you know, once we have this resolution, the doctor kind of goes away. I'm just gonna be right back. He comes back. And it's two years later again. (laughs) You still got to get the calibration down.
2: Um, Incidentally, this is a callback in a way to early Doctor Who because early Doctor Who, the Doctor did not have good control of where the TARDIS went mm -hmm. in space and time. And he gradually got more and more control. And recently he's been able to just nail it consistently. Right. But and they, now the TARDIS is yeah. a little bit broken. He's not having that same degree of control. Well, anymore. and they
1: kinda they kinda played on that uh in the Christmas episode, the last Christmas episode, where uh Peter Capaldi's doctor, the twelfth doctor, is in the first doctor's TARDIS. And of course the first doctor has never been able to control it, and Peter Capaldi just bang 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 and yeah and the first doctor comments he landed it exactly where he wanted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it wasn't a problem with the TARDIS after all those years. It was the doctor didn't know what he was doing.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, By the way, another neat little callback to a previous Stephen Moffat thing in this one is when the doctor snaps his fingers and the TARDIS door opens. Mm -hmm. That was something Moffat had introduced in Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead.
0: Right. In fact, it uh, it was River Song who snapped her fingers, right? To open so the door, who, t- who
2: told him that he could do it and he didn't know. Yeah. And then at the mm-hmm. end of that, he tried it and it worked.
0: Right. Yep. Right. Um. So when he comes back in 2010, now we're like in present day with with Amy, Uh, she wants to know why he chooses her. Why did you choose? Because when he came, when she was eight years old, she changed his life. He changed her life. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the Raggedy Man became a story. People thought she was a crazy little kid who made up this this guy.
2: I, I like when she when he shows up later in 2008 and she explains it's 12 years and four psychiatrists later.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and and and, you know, he says, yeah, OK, it's part because I'm lonely. But but he it's also as we see sort of on the monitor, it's also because of the crack of the wall and the crack mm-hmm. of the universe. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons he chose her. Uh at it, it, by the way lo- at at this moment as he introduces her and us to the new TARDIS control room uh as they come in the door i notice the coat rack is there uh i <laughs> notice this is the coat rack that was in the first doctor's very spare mm-hmm. control room uh, mm-hmm. At the time, but it, it's it they they brought it back. So
1: this is this, this control room is is not exactly one of my favorites. It's a little no. too psychedelic for me. And they, they did get rid of it fairly quickly. Actually, I think it only lasted
2: a season. But I don't yeah. like any of the new Who control rooms. I, I just think they're all badly designed compared to the classic. But um, uh, I, I
1: I really I love those scenes where the Doctor were walking with Amy and all these people who've known Amy her whole life goes, it's him. <laughs> it's your yeah. raggedy doctor it's yeah. like, and right. he's trying to explain something you're trying to do something it's like you're real you're actually the right it's <laughs> like uh hello
0: i'm trying to save the world here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right there's uh this that um a kind of a funny sort of a little bit off color moment with the uh the young Dude, man and his grandmother guy. with the browser yeah. history um yep. It was kind of funny, but it was a little he They don't come right out and say it, but if you know, you kind of know what he's talking about. Well, there's he the a comment earlier,
1: too, where the doctor grabs a laptop and he looks at it and says, you need to get a girlfriend.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. right. I I wondered, because
2: that character plays plot-wise a bigger role than Rory does in this yeah. episode. And I wonder if 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 at some early stage in the writing now, they would have had to resolve it by the time they started filming. But I wonder if at some early stage in the writing, Moffat was considering going with either Rory or this guy. As a recurring character, because he feels like in a way he should be the one who gets picked up rather than Rory, because Rory is not yet established as Amy's boyfriend really in this episode.
0: Um, There's something, well, there's something about them being together, but, but it's yeah. It's not a very strong connection. Yeah, they he, said, gone he says boyfriend.
2: Way. She
1: just says friend.
0: Yeah, yeah. One thing. Oh, one thing I wanted to note
2: about this. Uh, unlike the girl in the fireplace, where they played the gaps in time that where the doctor leaves and comes back, they played it for romance. Here they play it for comedy and drama, mm-hmm. and at the end of this, both there's this. I I like the stinger ending. Um, because uh, we learn from what we, the viewer, see that both the doctor and Amy are keeping secrets from each other. The doctor is keeping secret from Amy, the significance of the cracks in time and why he chose her. Right. And she is keeping secret from him, even though she's mentioned it. We, the viewer, don't realize she's been obsessed with the doctor Mm -hmm. And we get this pan of the items in her room. Right. And she has all this doctor-related memorabilia that she created. And then we pan up to her wedding dress. Right. Mm -hmm. And that just sets us on. I mean, that's an ominous note for the future. Here are these two things. Her childhood obsession with her adult need to move on and get married are about to collide. And, Mm -hmm. And it's a really effective stinger at the end
0: right that that was um it's it, it's a significant plot point i mean as going going forward you know this whole triangle between amy the doctor and rory it's it's a significant point at least for a portion of their time together and then once river song shows up that that changes a bit but um uh I I do like the line where he says at the end, there's something very important you. You have to remember. I am definitely a madman in a box, Uh, you know, that sort of, which is, which is as good a definition of the doctor as, as any, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and actually, I mean, there's so much to say, but one of my last points is, is the adventure music, the, that, that sort of driving whenever there's an adventure, that's my, it's
2: called, it's called the theme of the 11th. Okay. I am the doctor is, Mm -hmm. right. My, and that
0: that's one of my favorite
1: themes of yeah the series. I was gonna say yeah. yeah, it's my
0: favorite theme music. I uh, really it's I, I in fact I have it as a ringtone uh, that I use on my phone sometimes because it's just it's oh, just cool. so cool when I hear it. it I just love hearing it's it. It's compelling. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta say the 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 music, especially since I mean the music has always been pretty good, but the music especially since Moffat took over. Was really good. And in fact, I, I should really find out who's responsible because um,
1: uh, it's Murray Gold, still, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it's still Murray Gold. Um, he's, he's been doing. He's been doing the music, and it shows how incredible of a, a composer he is because he's been doing all the music. I think he's just now resigned from Doctor Who. I don't think he's going to be going forward. I thought wow, I heard something about right. that. I mean, how long has uh, he been
0: doing it from the beginning? Since
1: like... since New Who started, wow. since day one of New Who. Yeah, okay. so he's composed all the themes, all the all that. Um, we also get the really
2: haunting Amy's theme.
0: I yes, guess. which is a great, a great theme. Yeah, um, that that and then the later the Clara's theme is another one of my favorites uh, of the mm-hmm. of, of the music. I mean, it's really it's very cinematic to put it that way. In, the, in that sense, it's very much bigger than than you you often found with a TV sh- uh, show. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. And I,
1: I looked it up. He, he did just resign as. Uh, composer for Doctor Who as of the last season, end of the last season, the end of the Christmas special.
0: Yeah, I feel like I mean, this is kind of getting to some territory that we want to cover in a show for itself. But I feel like as we talk about this, um, the new who that's going to be coming in with the 13th Doctor in many, it's more than just the fact that the doctor is now a woman. Is going to be very different from what we've experienced. Yeah. The changes mm-hmm. we going. Slate. It's yeah, it's going to be it's as probably as big a difference as we saw between 1989 and 2005. I, I, yeah. I have a feeling like, um, and it'll be it'll be a uh, it's going to be a, a, it'll be interesting to see how the fans take it. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, we're we're definitely planning to talk about. uh, Chris Chibnall and the new who what we expect and the different, the changes and that sort of, in a, in a dedicated episode of what he needs to
2: do and not do. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, I hope he's going to be listening because then he'll have to just reshoot everything to to fit our, uh... (laughs) (laughs) if he knows what's good for him. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, so uh, anything else you guys want to, any other notes you want to talk about um, things that we didn't cover? I had a couple of small ones. Uh, I thought
2: the speaking coma patients was very effective. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very effective when Prisoner Zero took the form of young Amy. That was mm-hmm. creepy. Yep. Um, also, the doctor does something in this episode that is um, reminiscent of Moffat's other series, Sherlock. Um, when uh, there's oh, right. a moment when the doctor realizes he's missed something and he rewinds his memory and we get to see in his mind's eye flashing back through all the things he just saw until he finds the thing he needs. And that's very Sherlock. It's very mind palace. Yeah. Um, And he, he, he only does that on one other occasion that I can think of. Um, It doesn't become a recurring theme but he does use it again, if I recall correctly, in a Christmas carol where mm. he rewinds part of his memory in uh, Kazdan Sardik's uh, office or whatever it is.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, One, speaking of the coma patients, one thing that kind of drove me crazy was the, was Dr. Ramsden, if you remember her, Mm -hmm. she was the doctor Mm -hmm. that, Rory, just the fact that she wouldn't listen and she wouldn't even look at the, at the video, like what a terrible doctor she was. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, like, unfortunately, like
1: a lot of doctors, even (laughs) in our world today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah, uh, I've had some experiences lately of the healthcare system, so I can just, uh, you know, most of them have been pretty good, but yeah, I I I, I have
2: I like the fact that when the coma patients, that Rory thought logically they were calling for her because they're calling for the doctor. And, well, she's the doctor and (laughs) he doesn't have the telepathic context to to realize who the actual doctor being called (laughs) for is.
0: Right, right. Uh, And and like we said, Rory is, you know, he's sort of a very thin character at the moment, but uh, he's going to really come into his own very soon. And that'll be uh, it's uh, Rory became one of my favorite companions, Mm -hmm. frankly. Uh, I really like Rory. Yeah, I
2: think later he really becomes the viewpoint character. Yes. Amy and the doctor are the two wacky exotic ones. And Rory is our lens
0: into this world. Yeah, he's the grounded one uh, the, uh, the whole time. Yeah. Um, It's
2: like in shows like Bob Newhart or Andy Griffith, where you have the one sane person, the sane ordinary person (laughs) in the town of crazies. Yes, yes. Rory eventually steps into that role.
0: Yeah, he does. So, um so I guess I, that's it from us I guess uh, if there's something else I mean I think we all really enjoyed this one um, what did you yep. think of the 11th Doctor's First Story uh, 11th Hour uh, let us know uh, by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page uh, leave us some feedback there or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com with your written uh, comments or we love to get uh, uh, recorded like your voice uh, you know an audio recording we could play it uh, in the show you can find Find links to all our personal social media and our websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor story, The Idiot's Lantern, which is the TV, in case you didn't know, that's The Idiot's Lantern. Uh, and uh, we'll be continuing our series of just rewatching watching the, 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 the new Who. Uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. You're welcome. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening, and remember, bow ties are cool. When will I see you again? Uh, Soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.